Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you were tempted this past week? Raise your hand. All of us, right? And if there's someone out there who thinks that they weren't tempted this past week, then I have bad news for you. That means you just didn't realize that you were being tempted when it was happening to you. There are times, certainly, where Satan presses his attacks on us with greater vigor, but as long as you're still breathing, Satan is after you. And because you are faced with this struggle with temptation, because it is constant and lifelong, your ears should perk up when you heard our stories this morning, these two stories of temptation that we had in our Old Testament and Gospel readings. Because the first, from Genesis chapter 3, tells you why you are in this lifelong struggle of temptation. And the second, from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, tells you how this lifelong struggle is to be overcome. And indeed, in Christ, already is overcome. As Christians, we start with the beginning. And that actually is not with the book of Genesis, but with Jesus. He is himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And only in him can we rightly know everything in between. So in order to understand truly what is happening in Genesis chapter 3, we actually start with Matthew chapter 4. And we consider the temptation of Jesus as we heard it a few minutes ago. First, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he prepares himself for this encounter, this combat, this struggle with the devil. He prepares for it by fasting. Now, that might seem kind of odd. Why fasting? Well, because eating is a spiritual activity, and therefore fasting is a spiritual discipline. When Jesus fasted, he was not repudiating bread as God's gift to us, Rather, he was validating it, but he was insisting that bread belongs with the Word of God, that bread is the divine gift of life because it is God's gift to us. And so as he quoted from himself in Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread and all food gives life because God has given it to you for that purpose. And apart from the word of God, you'll die no matter how much bread you have, or maybe sometimes even because of how much bread you have. And now we see, now we can begin to understand what was happening in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. It's not necessarily true that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an apple, but it could have been. The Bible doesn't identify the kind of tree that it was, the particular flavor of fruit. But what I mean by it could have been is that the problem with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not that it was poisonous. It wasn't a bad apple, and this isn't Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. The problem with the fruit of the tree was that God had not given it to Adam and Eve for food. In fact, contrary to all of the other trees in the garden, which God had given to them their fruit for food. God said of this one tree, if you eat of it, 
you will surely die. So it didn't matter that when Eve looked at the fruit that it was pleasing to the eye. It didn't matter that I suspect if you cut it up and did some kind of scientific analysis, you would find it had a pretty good set of nutrients in it. God said that that tree and its fruit did not give life. And so it wasn't food, and it didn't give life. Only what God gives, gives life, for all life is of him. And the tree, indeed, was in the garden in order to teach Adam and Eve this very thing, that things were good when used in accordance with the word of God, and evil when they were used contrary to the word of God. Now, of course, we all know how that reading went. We all know that Adam and Eve did not learn this and instead listened to the temptation of the devil. And although they had all of that good food that they literally could reach out and grab, all the food they needed at their fingertips, they doubted God's goodness and ate the one fruit that he had not given for food. And in contrast to that, then, we come back to Matthew chapter 4, where we see Jesus, who, though perishing with hunger from 40 days of fasting, refused the devil's temptation to eat. And so Jesus, in the fasting, in the weakness, overcame the temptation of the devil. And as man, he kept the fast and lived not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's an astonishing thing, something that's evil to overlook, that Jesus took the words, man shall not live by bread alone, and he applied those words to himself. Because after all, the temptation of the serpent, of the devil, was if you are the son of God. And yet Jesus goes to the word that says, man shall not live by bread alone. You see, the temptation of Satan was more clever than just breaking the fast. The temptation offered to Jesus was to define himself separate, apart from us, from you and from me, from mankind. Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God. He certainly was free, as the Word of God, to use bread however he pleased, whether to fast or to eat. And indeed, the stones themselves, he had made them. He was free to make them to be bread if he so wished. He had the power and right to do this because he is the Son of God. But us, we can't. And Jesus has chosen to be one of us. And so as the perfect man, he chooses to receive bread and life according to the will of God. He waits and allows the Father to act. And the Father does. After the devil left him, he sent angels to come and to minister to him and to care indeed as he promised in the psalm for all of his needs. And so we see then in this first temptation and Jesus' response to it, the beauty of our salvation. That Jesus, who is the Son of God, Jesus, who is the Word of God, submits himself to that word which says, man shall not live by bread alone. And so he, having become man, not only by taking on our flesh, but by facing temptation as we do, he conquers the devil as a man and restores life then to all mankind. So that it is indeed that you and I do not live by bread alone, but by Jesus, the Word who has come forth from the God. And then here this morning, lest you think that this is just something that happens in our heads 
and that the eating is not important. Here this morning on this table which God has prepared before you, he will offer to you the very bread of life that is the body of the word made flesh given for you. And here he will offer for you to drink of the wine of the fruit of the tree of life, the lifeblood of the one who has overcome your enemy, the devil. For in the temptation of Jesus, we see already prefigured the very nature of the salvation that he has accomplished on the cross. For there indeed, the devil puts forth the same temptation to Jesus, again saying, if you are the Son of God, then you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be like man. You don't have to die. As Jesus hung on the cross, what was it that people said as they passed by? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And again, Jesus certainly had the power and the right to save himself. But Jesus identified himself with us and endured a death, trusting that the Father would raise him on the third day. And indeed, not only that he would be raised, but that likewise you who have been buried with him through baptism into death, that you also would be raised with him to newness of life. And if you know your catechism, you know that that being raised to newness of life means this lifelong struggle with temptation. That the old man in you should have to daily be drowned and die, along with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man must daily arise to live before God in righteousness. In other words, that you as a baptized Christian continue to struggle, have this lifelong struggle with temptation. But something has changed, and that change is everything, that you are able to endure this struggle. For our victory has been won, the kingdom ours remaineth. Our victory, your victory, is in the flesh and blood of Jesus, who has overcome the devil. The one who has overcome the devil and who grants you now, by the communion of his body and blood, that you might share in his victory, that you might eat and drink the food of life, eternal life. So when you are tempted, because you will be, remember Jesus. Remember that you do not stand alone against the attacks of the devil. You have one who has fought for you and indeed who has already won the victory. And the same Jesus who endured all the temptations of the devil and was faithful even unto death on the cross, that same Jesus is with you now. You are not alone. Jesus is with you. You live with the reality of Genesis 3 and the sin of Adam. But more importantly, you live with the reality of Matthew 4 and the faithfulness of Jesus. You face every temptation now covered with the blood of Jesus. So take heart. Resist the devil. Do not listen to his lies, but to the word of God. And when you fail, which you will, don't despair or claim that you didn't. But rather know that the word of God is true, and that if you confess your sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, as indeed he has done for you this very morning. And this is the word of God to you. This is the word of God for you, that as he took on your flesh and blood, so he has made you now to be his own body. You have life in the bread which is the word of God himself. And that life is the eternal life of God. What is true of Jesus, he by his grace has made true of you. 
that in him you have overcome the temptations of the serpent and been restored to communion with God. This is who you are, a beloved child of God, one clean, free, and pure, one to whom he has given life and everything that you need. This is what his word says to you, and you can count on it. His word remains forever, because Christ remains forever. To him be all the glory, forever and ever. Amen.